Well, I'm excited about this new series that we're entering into together. This is church. I really wanted Ryan Seacrest to do like This is American Idol in a little spot for us, but he's a little too uh, expensive for our taste, so you have me. This is church. I think that's a great element and a great introduction for us. This is church. And throughout this entire series, we're going to be focusing on defining the church, talking about the practice of the church. We're talking about the church universal, the church local. We're talking about the church. And so throughout this this entire series, the message part of what we're doing is only part of what we're asking God to do in our hearts. The other part of what we're asking to do happens in life groups. And so our life groups have talked and will be all focusing on the message for the next few months. And so it's really the second part. It's the hearing of the word and then it's the discussion of what the word has to say. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not in a life group, you need to see Pastor Jeff today and get in a life group. Uh, We talk about, we do three things at Waukee Community Church. We do Sunday gathering, we do life groups, and we serve. And you're going to see all these things work themselves out. Of course, Sunday gathering is very visible, but life groups and then service happens uh, in Faith in Action Sunday. That's the visible piece. And then there's the piece of us living our lives in service everywhere we go. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're not in a life group, please get in one. They're just phenomenal. And it's a great chance for you to really bring the word that's preached home to you. Well, over my years of pastoral ministry... I, because I was a youth pastor and uh, I have known hundreds of students and that gives, affords me the opportunity to do a lot of weddings. I have done more weddings than I can count. I'm like a, a wedding machine in some ways. And uh, I noticed early on as I was doing weddings that every wedding is unique, but there is a common theme that happens at wedding time. Some of you can relate to this as you think back to your wedding. Usually somewhere in the rehearsal, there is a power struggle. (laughs) You know, there's someone that tries to hijack the wedding. It might be the wedding coordinator. I've had crazy wedding coordinators to work with, you know. It might be the mother of the bride, the mother of the groom, some crazy cousin, you know, out there. Somebody tries to hijack the wedding. And so because of this... I have this, made this habit at my, most of my rehearsals. I bring the bride and groom up. Uh, I stand them next to me. I have them introduce their, their sides of the family. And, uh, and then I say, all right, uh, some ground rules before we go forward here. I said, there's a lot of people who are going to have opinions about the wedding today, but I only care about one opinion. And I point to the bride and I say, moms, If you have opinions, keep them to yourself. (laughs) And I say, cousins, relatives, keep your opinions to yourself. I only care about her. And then I whisper to the groom, I kind of care about what you think. And, uh, but it's really a wedding. It's about the bride and what she wants. And And because this is her day, everyone else, I say, just hold your opinions. And at this point, there's usually some nervous laughter because everyone knows it's true, and no one wants to admit it. And so we, we go with this, and then everyone else just there's a, is kind of goes through the rehearsal, and it usually goes well. Afterwards, I bet about half the time, the bride will pull me aside after the rehearsal and say, thank you, Pastor Dave, for saying that. Somebody needed to say that because, you know, crazy Aunt Sally was coming after this thing, and thank you. This week, we're beginning our series on 
This is church. And it's important that we begin with a moment of clarification. We begin with, a, just like I said at a rehearsal and offer a moment of clarification. It's imperative that we begin with a moment of clarification. This church is about Jesus. He is the one. He is the head. Jesus is the point. This church is his church. And it's really inappropriate for us to begin a discussion of church any other place than with Jesus. Because Jesus is the head of the church. We must set the foundation by talking about the head of the church, by pointing to the head of the church. So we begin with the preeminence of Jesus in the church. We don't want to start any other place. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul sets this tone perfectly for us. Jesus is the head of the body, he says. In Colossians 1, 18. Jesus is the head. There are two things I want you to know today. Two things that I want you to walk away from here. The first one is what Laura already put up there for us. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. Look at Colossians 1.18. Look what Paul says. He's writing to the church at Colossae. By the way, he's never met these Christians before. These Christians were started. They were a church plant from another church that Paul had planted. And these people were so excited about their faith, they took it to a neighboring town, Colossae. Paul gets excited. He's never met him before. And he, he wants to say some things about church. And in Colossians 1.18, he says this. Speaking of Jesus, he says, Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Now we might ask, as maybe the Colossians did, we might ask this question. What's so special about Jesus? I mean, why does he get to be the head? We might think, how did he get there? What did he do? I don't recall a vote where we voted Jesus in as the head of the church. Where did that vote happen? How did Jesus get there? Was there a bribe? Maybe somebody gave Jesus enough offering, you know, or maybe Jesus gave enough money to someone that Jesus got to be the head. How did he get to be the head? We know how people get to be the head in our society and in our world. How did Jesus get to be the head? Well, there's three verses around Colossians 1.18 that really answer this question. And it starts in verse 15, Colossians 1.15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. That's the first thing. That's the first reason Jesus is the head of the church. Because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Father, Son, Spirit. He's fully divine. Jesus is God. This word image is literally the word icon. In Greek, you can hear it. It sounds like icon. The, Jesus is an icon of God. Well, what is an icon? Well, in, in the Old Testament, the word icon referred to an idol. In fact, God said, don't make an icon of me. Don't craft a little stone image of me and worship it. That's not me. Don't do it. So this is really interesting. How can Paul say that Jesus is an icon of the, of the invisible God? What does he mean by that? How can Jesus be an idol of something that's invisible? Well, think about it. Um, just think about an apple here for me. You know, we look at this picture of an apple, and that 
is not an actual apple. Like, don't go up and try to take that off the screen and eat that. That will be an awkward moment for everyone here. Uh, it's a picture. It's a representation of an apple. And so you see that and you think of one thing, right? You think of a piece of fruit. Or look at this apple. This will make you think of something else, right? Some of you think this is a cult, but wh whatever. Anyway, the, you think of a computer when you think of this apple. But Jesus is more than just a graven image or a symbol. Jesus is a symbol, a visible representation infused with the essence of God himself. Jesus is a symbol that points to God, but he's more. He's actually God himself. Jesus is the inner essence of God revealed. Jesus is the expression of the very nature and essence of God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Why is Jesus the head? Because he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is God in human form. That's why Jesus is the head. He starts right away saying, Jesus is different than any other human that's ever lived on the face of this earth because Jesus in his very nature is God. That verse continues. We find out more reasons why Jesus is the head of the church. Look at the second half of verse 15. Not only is he the image of the visible God, he's God in human form. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He's the firstborn. Well, that's an interesting word, firstborn. I've got a firstborn. I actually think I have two firstborns. That's weird, but when you have two waves of kids, you got a firstborn at the beginning of each wave. And so uh, Jesus is the firstborn. Does that mean because he was born first? No, the, the word here doesn't mean that Jesus was born first before other people. It actually refers to his status and privilege as God. Jesus has a status and privilege of firstborn. In, in the New Testament and Old Testament cultures, firstborn had a privilege, specifically in the Old Testament culture. The firstborn in a family got everything. The firstborn had all, to keep the inheritance, to keep the family's inheritance together. If you started splitting it amongst 12 kids, it turned out to be nothing. So oftentimes the firstborn would get everything. The firstborn had all the rights, all the status, all the privileges. You remember Jacob and Esau. Esau was born first. It was this crazy thing when Jacob stole it from him. He stole the birthright and the blessing from his brother. The, the older, the firstborn, had all the rights and privileges. Jesus is the preeminent one. Jesus is the head of the church, because not because he was born first, but because he is the status of the firstborn. It continues. The text continues. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is preeminent. Because for all things were created, the text says, by him. Jesus is the firstborn over creation because everything was created by him. He was active in creation. He was active in creation. Did you know that? That in that moment when God spoke words and things came to be, when there was light Jesus was there. Jesus didn't just appear on the scene at the turn of a new millennium. 
Jesus wasn't just born. Jesus has been pre-existent for all eternity. You want to know why he gets to be the head of the church? Because he's older than all y'all. <laughs> he's older than everybody. Jesus is before all things. By him all things were created, it says. Everything you see was made by the working of Jesus. There's nothing in this room that wasn't made by Jesus. This chair here, the raw materials that put together this incredibly comfortable chair that you all love sitting in every week. This chair was made by the hands of Jesus. The raw materials that fashioned it. This paper came from a tree that was made by Jesus. Everything you see and have is, ma is made by Jesus. What's more than that though, look what it says. For all, all things were created... Things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Everything you see was created by Jesus, and everything you don't see was created by Jesus. Isn't that amazing? There's this whole world out there, this spiritual realm of things that are real, but we can't see them. Jesus not only made everything we can see, he made everything we can't see. Paul got a little carried away here. <laughs> he says... I have them circled in my Bible. It says, for by Jesus, verse 16, all things were created. He uses the word all things or everything six times in this passage. You think he's trying to make a point? Everything you see and don't see is made by Jesus. My shirt, this is Jesus' shirt. The fabric, the, the materials that went into making this shirt were made by Jesus. All things were made by him. But not just by him. You want to know why Jesus is the head of the church? They weren't just made by him. They were made for him. They were made for him. Occasionally my girls will give me a little bracelet that they've made. It's precious to me because they made it for me. It's a gift to me. Uh, everything in this world that you see and don't see is a gift to Jesus. Everything was made for him, for his good, for his glory. So this chair here that everyone loves so much, this chair not only were the materials made by Jesus, they were made for his glory. You walk around and you look at a Coke machine and that was somehow made for the glory of Jesus. Everything we have is not only made by Jesus, it's made for for him. And please don't miss that because we love our stuff and we love to buy things and we love cool stuff and some of us are woodworkers and we like to make with our hands and guess what? Everything is for the glory of Jesus. It's all for him. It's like a king giving lavish gifts to his favored son. If a king had a favorite son and he lavishes gifts on him. Remember Joseph in the Bible? He had that really cool coat of many colors that served as a reminder that Joseph was the favorite. His brothers hated that coat. It's like that. Everything in this world points that was for Jesus. Jesus is the favored son. This is why he's the head of the church. So not only was everything created by him and for him, it gets better. Everything was created by him and for him. He is before all things that we already touched on. And in him, all things hold together. Did you know that Jesus is active in this world holding everything together? 
everything at the molecular level. I, as last I understood it, the essence of matter and energy and no one really truly understands why this stuff doesn't just fly apart. I know why. It's because of Jesus. He's the one who holds it together. He sustains it. He's like super glue. He's super adhesive. He holds it all together. Jesus is the head of the church because all glory is due him. <laughs> she keeps getting better. Look back at the text. He's before all things and him, in him all things hold together. This is why he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. There's more reasons. Paul's not done. There's more reasons he's the head. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus was not the first person to be raised from the dead in the Bible. Lazarus was raised from the dead. How is Jesus the firstborn? Because Jesus' resurrection was better. Jesus is the founder of a new kind of humanity, to quote D.A. Carson, whom I love. The founder of a new kind of humanity. He was the first to conquer the grave. He was the first to bring a resurrected body. He is the first to usher in a new kingdom. His resurrection was a resurrection to new life. Jesus rose from the dead. So why is Jesus the head of the church? Because he's the best. Because he's the first. Because he's the preeminent one. Because he is most important. Who else is more important to the Father than Jesus? Who is the more favored son? Who else is first? Who is greater than Jesus? All glory goes to him. Who has even done a small infantile portion of the work that Jesus has done? No one. So what does it mean then that Jesus is the head of the church? What does that mean? We see why he's the head of the church. What does it mean? It means that all the focus goes on him. We don't worship anybody else but Jesus. There are no Buddha songs at Waukee Community Church. There are no songs about great people at Waukee Community Church. There are no songs. There are no poetry. There is no worship focused on anybody but Jesus because he is God. All the focus of the church belongs on Jesus because he sets the course. He sets the direction. He's like a captain plotting the course of his church. He's like a captain plotting the course of a ship. He gets out his map and Jesus says, because I'm the head of the ship, the church, I determine the direction. We, what does it mean that Jesus is the head? It also means we submit to him. As his church, we follow his lead. It also means that because Jesus is the head, he has the right to make the church all about him. In any other context, if someone tried to make something all about them, we would think they're a narcissist. We would think that their ego has gone to their head. You know, what politician that makes it all about him or her do we like? But Jesus gets to be that because there's no one greater. Who greater than God himself incarnate? In fact, if Jesus put the attention and focus and worship on anybody else but himself, it would be idolatry. He would sin. 
Because Jesus is the head, he has the right to make church all about him. He has the right to do that. And there is this, then, this picture of intimacy. Okay, so if Jesus is the head of the church, it means that his head is connected intimately to the body. And if you and I are the body, the, the meaning of Jesus as the head is that we're intimately connected with him. Jesus is tied to the church. He loves his body. As, as a church, you and I get to share a relational closeness with Jesus. This is what it means that Jesus is the head of the church. <laughs> now, why is Jesus the head of the church? Why did he conquer the grave? The text continues. 118. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the firstborn from among the dead. So he rose from the dead. This archetype of a new kind of humanity. Why? So that in everything he might have the supremacy. So that in everything Jesus might be supreme. Do you want to know why Jesus is the head of the church? Because Jesus is supreme. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. Friends, today you need to know in no uncertain terms that Jesus is supreme. There is no one greater than Jesus. There is no ruler more powerful than Jesus. There is no person who is greater than Jesus. There is no star that shines brighter than Jesus. No sun more favored than Jesus because Jesus is supreme. There's no artist more creative. There's no being more divine. Jesus is supreme. There's no politician more important. There's no ambassador more peaceful. There's no child more favored by the Father. There's no song more beautiful. There's no more mirror more reflective than the Father, of the Father, than Jesus. Jesus is supreme. There's no creator more perfect. There's no drug more energizing. There's no prescription more sustaining. There's no adhesive that bonds more tightly. Jesus is supreme. There's no currency more valuable. There's no diamond more flawless. There's no man who is older. There's no sage who is wiser. There's no ballerina more graceful. There's no truth more compelling. There's no person more holy. There's no affection or affliction more complete. There's no resurrection more glorious. There's no judge who's more just. There's no king more majestic. There's no God who's more compassionate. There's no commander more supreme. No one who is more eminent than Jesus because Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is supreme and I go on and on and on because he is the head of the church. There's no one more deserving than Jesus. He is the head. He, this is his church. It belongs to him. He deserves the glory. He deserves the attention. He deserves the honor. Jesus is king. Jesus is head. It's all about Jesus. Do you get my point? <laughs> and here's the thing. If Jesus is the head and we're his body, it stands to reason that if Jesus is the head, then the most important entity in the world is Jesus' body. The church is not merely a tool that Jesus uses. The church is an extension of Jesus. The church is the body of the Supreme One. 
Now, some would tell us otherwise. Some would say, well, you know, they'd say, those people, they'd say, Jesus is just a man. That Jesus is irrelevant. That Jesus is dead. And as a result, they'd say, the church is just a club. The church is really unimportant because, you know, the body of a dead guy, that's not really helpful. They'd say the church is irrelevant. The church is useless. They'd say the church is a waste of time. And I'm here today to tell you that that is not right. The church exists for the glory and the work of Jesus. And don't get that wrong. Jesus is the head of the church. He's supreme. All glory goes to him. Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Now I told you that I had two points today. The first one is Jesus is the head of the church. The second point is that you are not. Look at verse 21. Paul keeps it up here. He says, Once you were alienated from God. He's telling the Colossians who he's never met what they used to be like. He, he doesn't know them. He hasn't met them. He hasn't gone, oh yeah, I, I saw you all before we met. And before you knew Jesus, you were alienated. You were a mess. Paul knows because he knows humanity. Before Jesus, you were alienated from God. It literally means you were excluded or made a foreigner. Sin caused us to be far from God. Now, we live in an anti-sin world. Our world loves to tell us that sin is no big deal. In fact, we're offended by the word sin. I mean, just try it. Go up to someone and say, you know, you're a sinner. <laughs> you're alienated from God. That doesn't go over real well in our culture. But that's true. Um, I used to have a, a student who, she was just in a really interesting place. And when I knew her, I never knew whether she, what was going on on any, any given Wednesday when she would show up for youth group. And uh, as I just, it was, it was com complex. And as we dug in a little bit to her life, I discovered that she had a mom who was strung out on drugs all the time. And she had a little sister who was probably seven, eight years younger than her. And with her mom strung out on drugs, a student of mine had to raise her little sister and go home to a mom, and she never knew what to expect from her mom. She never knew if her mom was going to go insane, go off the handle, and start throwing things around, or whether her mom was just going to be in bed all day long. She had no idea knowing what to, to expect. Sometimes she'd be protecting her little sister. And you know, her mom would say, when confronted, would say, well, it's no big deal. It's my choice. It's my life. It doesn't affect anybody else. That kind of crap alienates people. That student of mine, she had not a great relationship with her mom. With us, it's the other way around. The crap that's brought in is our crap. And did you know that sin alienates you, the child, from God the Father? Without Jesus, you're an alien. You're a stranger to God. And if that wasn't bad enough, it gets worse. 21. Once you were alienated with God and you were enemies 
in your mind because of your evil behavior. So not only were you separated and alienated from God, but you were his enemy. You aren't just strangers. You and I actually became God's enemy. The supreme Jesus, this beautiful, all-powerful, amazing God, we chose the other side. We chose sin over Jesus. Well, how can we go then from being a stranger and an alien to a a friend of God to uh, the bo- his body. I mean, you can't be the body of Christ if you're an alien. How does this happen? It's not because of anything you did. I can assure you that today. It's because of Jesus. Look at verse 22. Well, first of all, look at back to 19. I skipped some stuff in here. For in Jesus, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through Jesus to reconcile. Do you alienate enemy? He reconciled to himself all things, whether things on earth or heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And then in verse 22, he keeps going. He says, but now you've been reconciled. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blame and free from accusation. Do you see what Jesus does? He reconciles us. This is why he's the head and we're not. We're in no position to be the head of the church. Through faith, we're no longer strangers and aliens. This supreme Jesus, when you and I had become his enemy, he did something about it. He became a man. He gave his life. I was reading it in my quiet time in Isaiah chapter 52. Just listen to this. This, uh, You don't have to flip there. Just listen. Um, Isaiah writing a long time before Jesus was born would say this about the coming Messiah. He He would say, His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man. His form marred beyond any human likeness. That's Jesus. The favored son, the preeminent one, Jesus did that to reconcile us. Surely he took up our infirmities. Jesus carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken, smitten, afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Jesus. And by his wound, we are healed. We like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each of us to his own way. But the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of us all. There's no one more deserving to be the head than Jesus. And as we've shown, you and I are in no place to be the head. But we don't tend to view it this way. Because we're sinners and we're battling our sinful nature, our tendency, I think, by nature is to put ourselves in a place where we think about ourselves as being the preeminent one of the church. We don't even know we're doing it sometimes. We do it in a couple different ways. First of all, we minimize the importance of the church and the headship of Jesus. And in effect, we put ourselves in the place of being the preeminent one When we view church as a social club, we minimize the preeminence of Jesus. When we view it as a service, a 
uh, something we sit through for an hour and 15 minutes and when we walk away and go, wow, God, you better be happy with me today because Dave was boring and not on his game. I suffered for you, Jesus. So thank you. You know, you should be thanking me, God. We just try to take Jesus as the head and put ourselves there. When we forget that we are acting every day as the body of Christ, when you just come and go and we forget about Jesus, we put ourselves as the head of our lives. We try to take him away. When we fit Jesus into our lives, when we have time, you know, we love customization, don't we? We love individualization. Uh, I, I read about this new iPhone cover. Maybe I mentioned it before. I don't remember. But it's, a, it's not just one iPhone cover. It's a whole set of iPhone covers so that you can find a cover to match whatever outfit you're wearing that day. Customization. It's all about me and looking cool. It's, we're so into this that it's hard for us to even think that our lives may not be about us. When we customize Jesus into our lives, like, hey, Jesus, you can supplement me right there. I got you right there in my pocket. When I need you, I'll take you out. It's good. We put ourselves as the head of our own lives and in the church. And as a result, we make ourselves the heads of our own little churches. The church is an assembly of Jesus' followers. And suddenly, when we customize Jesus into our lives, we make him unimportant, and we make ourselves the head. But friends, Jesus is the head of the church. You and I are not. And when we remove Jesus from the position of head in our lives, we minimize the importance of God's people. If Jesus is the head of, his li of your life, of our life, his values should permeate. It should be important to you. And as the head of the church, Jesus values the church. He values the people that make up his body because he's their head. Jesus values the church. Do you? Do you value the church? We minimize the importance of, the, of church, of the church in our lives when we take Jesus off his headship and put ourselves there. Another way we do this is we tend to cover, covet a role that doesn't belong to us. There are times in our lives where we want to just be the head and we covet Jesus being the head of the church. Jesus, I've got my ideas and I'd like to bring those to the table and I'd really like you to help me out. I always talk about Jesus as our lucky rabbit's foot, you know. So some people think of him that way. But when Jesus is the head of the church, oftentimes just by nature we covet it. Isn't that the first lie that Satan told to Eve and to Adam and Eve in the garden? Satan told a lie. It was prideful. Satan wanted to be the head. The first sin actually belonged to Satan. If we understand our scriptures when Satan was an angel, the number one, he said, this isn't good enough. I would like to actually be the head. I'd like to actually be God and greater than him. Pride is one of the greatest sins of humanity. We want to be the head. And we're tempted to say, God, aren't you so lucky that I'm on your team? If the church, in the church, what happens is when we put ourselves at the head, when we put ourselves there, it leads to power struggles. I want to be the head. I want to be in charge. I know of a church that was ripped down the middle 
by music of all things. And then people spiritualize it. They're like, oh, this type of music is more spiritual, and so this is more honoring to Jesus. And it just so happens that I like that kind of music better, but this is really about God because it's not about me. And, and it just ripped the church down the middle because of music of all things. But it's not just related to music. How about carpet? You know, we don't get to choose carpet. We get ketchup patties and things like that for floor designs. But, you know, I mean, I knew a church that had red carpet and they switched to seafoam green. Green. I don't know why they picked seafoam green, but that's it. And it just about ripped the church down the middle. Like we fight over minor points of doctrine. All the while we ignore the fact that if we look in our hearts, what we really want is control. We want to, to control to say this is going to happen or that's going to happen or I want to go this way or I want, you know, new lights or I want this or I want that and it's what I want, I want, I want. And the thing is, it's not about what we want. It's about Jesus. Jesus is the head. Is, his goal is to present you as a spotless bride. He's the head, you are not. And his desires are most important, not mine. In Matthew 16, 18, we're going to look at this verse more next week. In Matthew 16, 18, the very first time the word church is used, it's used by Jesus. And Peter has just gotten done telling Jesus, making this great confession when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And Jesus, they all respond. And, and Peter, he says to Peter, who do you say I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus refers and he turns to Peter and he says, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. This church belongs to Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, the apostle Paul has been running around. This is after Jesus has died and rose and ascended into heaven. And the apostle Paul is a good Jew and he has run around and he has made it his mission to destroy the church of Jesus. And so he's finding Christians and he's locking them up and he's killing them and he's watching them be killed. And he's going to stamp out this heresy. And he's on the road to Damascus to do this very thing to the believers in Damascus. And Jesus, the risen Christ, shines this bright light on him. Paul, Saul, meets Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He doesn't say, Paul, hey, stop messing around. I like these people a lot. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus is the head of the church. This is his body. And you and I are not the heads. And so today, some of you need to just be honest. There's just some repentance that's needed. Because while you give lip service to the idea that Jesus is the head of the church, in reality, you've made Jesus the head of your own little church. I've done this. You've done this. We've made it about us and my needs. I was listening to uh, NPR radio, and um, I was actually driving Jeff's car. Pastor Jeff listens to NPR. Who knew? And so uh, anyway, and, and in the, in the, on the radio, they were interviewing, uh, it was in one of the conventions, uh, one of the delegates while he was there. And this, this guy said, well, I'm here. And he la labeled off about two or three issues. And he said, these are the issues that are important to me. And that's why I'm here. You know, it's so ingrained in us to think about us. It's very difficult for us to acknowledge that Jesus 
is the head. Because if in our culture, if a politician doesn't live up to our liking, we try to vote her out of office, don't we? In our culture, we, everything is just designed around us. Uh, we go to a consumer, we live in a consumer society. I just found out a travesty of travesties this week. Come and Go is raising the price of their drink from 79 cents back to $1.19. I may stop buying Come and Go drinks. I'm so offended by this. Probably not, but I might. And, you know, it's my power to use my 79 cents or my $1.19 to not support this. If I didn't like or you didn't like how the way BP handled the whole Gulf Coast oil mess thing out there, what'd you do? Stop buying gas from BP. If I don't approve of what a company, they give their money, you know? I was trying to figure out where Paul Newman's dressing donates all their money. I still didn't figure it out. But if I found it out and didn't like it, I might stop buying Paul Newman dressing. Our culture tells us that everything we buy is about what we want and our values. And is there a place outside of our own families, maybe, where we make a choice based on someone else's needs? And, you know, frankly, most Americans treat the church the same way. We come in and you visit a church, and a lot of you have church shopped. You know what I'm talking about. You go in and you say, well, they have good kids programs. What meets my needs? Or you go in, is their pastor good looking? right? I don't know why you're here, but you're here, right? And you come in, or maybe is it relevant preaching, or exegetical preaching, or whatever you want, or maybe it's, is there good music, or do, do see, people seem to care about me when I was there? And we just take it, and we sort of forget to ask the question, is this church about Jesus? We just kind of forget about it. And then wait until someone in the church does something you don't like. And we unload on that person. And all the while we're forgetting that Jesus is the head. And the person that we're unloading on because we're ticked off. That's Jesus' body. Uh, I, you know, my kids, we, I got a lot of them. And uh, they're getting to the age where sometimes they give mom lip. You know, they just talk to her in a way I don't appreciate. And it's hard for me not to come unglued. You know, Lord, give me patience. Because I tell them, you're my child and I love you, but that's my wife. And you don't treat my wife like that. You're lucky you're alive right now. <laughs> we treat other Christians badly, and we don't even stop to think that that's the bride of Jesus. We're messing with his bride. And it's all about us and our needs and how they've hurt us and blah, 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 blah. It's about Jesus. He's the head of this household. He is. And there are other ways we need to repent. There are other ways we make ourselves the head of our own little churches. We say things like church was boring today as if entertainment was the most important thing instead of the glory of the true head. And there are other ways we do this. We put our nuclear family ahead of the family of God. We say, I just need some time for me today. I'm tired. I just need some time for me. So I need to take a break. And maybe I take a break from serving. I don't want to serve anymore. I'm tired. And I get that there are times where we're tired, but this is the body of Christ. This is the body of the preeminent one. And we go, ah, Jesus, it's not really about what you want from me. It's about what I want right now. The single driving factor in any church should be Jesus. 
It's not about you. It's not about your kids. It's not about your best friend. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. God is doing something here. By the way, lest you think that I'm yelling at you and not yelling at myself, do you know how hard it is for me not to say that Waukee Community Church is my church? Do you know that that's a battle I wake up every day and I fight? I fight it because my identity with who I am as a pastor is so tied in with this church and all of a sudden before I realize it, I'm freaking out about stuff because I forget that Jesus is the head and not me. I'm the one that needs to repent too. And the coolest, coolest thing about it is that God is doing something really good here. Like it's amazing when I'm looking around and I'm seeing these glimpses and I'm seeing these little pictures and I'm seeing these little things about people and Faith in Action Sunday, holy smokes, some good stuff's happening. And I love what's going on and I love the fact that some of you are serving other people and you didn't even ask the church for permission. Whoa! I love it. I was like, oh, I didn't know they were doing that. That's amazing. And there's such good stuff happening. And I love it. And Satan, in the midst of all that's good and is happening, he would work his way. And he would whisper, hey, your needs aren't being met. Hey, you should talk to somebody else about this. Because maybe their needs aren't being met either. Or maybe, you know, did you know that that person did something bad? You know, I I only heard it third hand, but somebody else needs to know about this. And Satan starts working and saying, hey, this is about you. You know, this is about you and what you want. And he whispers this lie. And in the midst, why would he do that? Because he knows God is doing something through his body, the hope of the world that's amazing. He knows it. God is doing something great. And so what I love about God is he's not a cruel dictator. I mean, you know, if I'm God and I'm the preeminent one, you know, and I'm awesome, because he is. If I'm God and I see sometimes what goes on in, in my life and in your life, I'm jumping down and I'm bringing some hammer, you know. I'm coming down and saying, hey, get it right. But God isn't like that. Our God is compassionate and forgiving. You know 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and he's just and he'll forgive us our sins and he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I would just ask that if in all humility today, you would just pause and say, have I tried to make me the head of my little church? Have I tried to make me the head of Waukee Community Church? Have I tried to make me the head of the universal church? Have I tried to put me in Jesus' place? And if you find that there's some way, ways that I haven't even talked about today, that you're doing this, would you just repent? Repentance means acknowledging our sin and turning from it. And then would you receive his grace and forgiveness? And today, as we end, I just want you to close your eyes and hold out your palms on your lap because this is a symbol of the grace and forgiveness of Jesus.
It's a receiving. And just as I pray, would you allow the Spirit of God to work in you? Would you allow Him? Would you allow Him to work in your heart? And would you acknowledge that and receive His forgiveness today? Would you close your eyes right now? Dear Jesus, we all here in some way need to say that we're sorry. Jesus, we all need to acknowledge, every one of us, that in many ways we've tried to put ourselves as the head of our own little churches. We've tried to put ourselves as the head of this church, maybe. We've tried to put ourselves in that place. And so, Jesus, we're sorry that we viewed this as a social club. Jesus, we're sorry that we've made it about our needs and not your glory. Jesus, we're sorry that we've not invested in other Christians because we don't trust them. We're sorry that we've gossiped and been used as a tool of Satan. Let it be your way, Jesus. Jesus, we're sorry that we've sought power and prestige instead of serving for your good and your glory. And Jesus, as a pastor, I will ask, will you forgive me for making Waukee Community Church my church and not the church of Jesus? And then let us sit. Jesus, we sit and gracefully receive your forgiveness. We gratefully receive the grace and mercy you pour out on us. And we realize that, Jesus, when you were afflicted for us, you gave us this great gift of forgiveness. And so we tap into it this morning. We receive it gratefully. And we turn. In this grace, we ask that you would make us not the body and not the head and that we invite you to sit on the throne of our lives where you belong. Change us. Mold us. Make us. In the image and name of Jesus. For his glory. Jesus, for your glory. Spirit, we invite you to do this work. Jesus, you are stronger. There is no one but you.